1: These
2: are our national icons. They are not Republican or Democrat. They belong to all of us.
3: Just to stay up and running and alive, I mean, for future generations to, you know, enjoy this beautiful area.
0: This land is your land. This land is my land. This land is billions of dollars behind in repairs.
1: What I discovered was, it was so many times with government, the federal government had been punting on doing the
4: annual maintenance.
0: But now, a chance to restore these national icons.
4: There hasn't been anything like this since Teddy Roosevelt, I suspect.
0: A bill that has bipartisan but not universal support. Really, it's it's not a responsible way to leverage those assets.
2: You can't put icing on a cake that's crumbling,
0: right? That doesn't make sense anymore. Great American Outdoors Act is a bipartisan bill that this past week also got the president's signature. So what could it mean for local communities? Who might oppose what appears to be such a well-liked bill? And how did proper care of our parks get pushed off for so long? In this episode of Hometown Stories, an inside look at the Great American Outdoors Act. The Blue Ridge Parkway is 469 miles of scenic highway. It takes you from the Southern Appalachian Mountains. They say Appalachian here and they're really particular about it. It connects the Great Smoky Mountains in the south to the Shenandoah National Park in the north. And part of it happens to come right through the Roanoke Valley.
3: Yeah, we're from, we drove up from Charlotte this, afternoon, this morning actually and we came up here to check out the Blue Ridge Parkway and uh, a couple trails here in Roanoke.
0: That's Ryan Gilroy who is escaping his COVID confines up here. He's just gotten off a trail. It's hot and the cicadas are buzzing loud overhead but this is one of his favorite places to be.
4: You know we've been to Yosemite,
3: we've been to Yellowstone as far as the big ones. So we've been to those too. Yeah. But the Blue Ridge Parkway I would say is probably my favorite. Really? Just because of you know the proximity to our home and Absolutely gorgeous.
0: So normally from this spot, just 10 minutes drive from downtown Roanoke, we could head southwest to Fancy Gap and on down to Asheville or northeast up to Humpback Rocks. But today, it would take a huge detour to do so. And here's the entrance. Oh, bummer. Road closed ahead, no through traffic. Shoot. Back in May, heavy rain damaged the parkway in Roanoke. In two sections, Park Service officials say they actually need to do significant reconstruction and slide prevention before they can even get it open, which they say might happen by fall. But this is an all-too-familiar problem on this leggy national park. And if you've driven it, you can see the potholes, you can see the damage. This is Carolyn Ward reaching us from Asheville, North Carolina. She's CEO of the Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation and basically grew up on the parkway that winds through these stunning vistas. Well, I was born and raised in Southwest Virginia. And so Sunday
2: drives were often along the Blue Ridge Parkway and I didn't even know it was a national park until I got much older. It was just where we went for a lovely drive up on Fancy Gap.
0: Carolyn says for a time, she was teaching at a university in California. But being away from the mountains really hit her in a weird way. During her daughter's third birthday party, Carolyn says she really realized how important outdoor recreation was going to be for her family. Kids
2: over, And we had some activities set up where they would walk through the grass and sit by a creek and put their feet in the water. And none of the uh, kids wanted to do that. And they turned and looked at their parents. And the parents ran off to the cars and got blankets and set them down so the kids didn't have to touch the grass. And I... Uh, told my husband after that i said this is sort of scary
0: i know this feels kind of like an irrelevant piece of the story here but this moment is what she said eventually kickstarted a project that she put into motion when she came to the foundation she helped start a kids in parks program to get more kids enjoying nature on the parkway it's the kind of program the foundation would normally pay for but lately and I mean, for quite a few years now, Carolyn says they've had to divert their annual contributions to less fun things.
2: Lately, over the last 10, 12 years, uh, groups like us have been funding operations. And so we, we built a communication center. We built a bathroom, for goodness sakes, because the park wasn't getting the, the budget that it needed.
0: She says annually, the parkway gets about 15 to $16 million in federal funding, which sounds like a lot of money to you and I but that's apparently not nearly enough to take care of one of the country's most visited national parks.
2: Really, if the parkway's budget was almost doubled, it would go a long way to try to help meet some of the needs. And that's why the Blue Ridge Parkway has about $508 million in backlog maintenance needs.
0: $508 million in deferred maintenance about 90% of which is needed to fix the parkway's parkway.
2: I think over half of the parkway mileage, about 235 miles, are out of date. So pavement needs to be redone about every 20 years, and about half of the Blue Ridge Parkway hasn't been paved in 30 years. We have donors that will call us up and say, you know, Carolyn, we, we love the idea of doing an education program, but there's so many potholes on the parkway, You know, it it seems like that's really what we need to be doing, but it costs a million dollars a mile
0: to pave the parkway. But how how is it possible that it costs a million dollars a mile to pave this? Like, how? My mind cannot wrap around that. And it's not just the parkway. From what I understand, that's what it costs to pave. Like, you think about the highways, Interstate 81, whatever it is, According to Carolyn, annual funding for the parkway is stagnant, but costs to maintain it are not. So she believes about 30% of the parkway's staff positions are vacant and can't be filled. And it means the money she raises from donors can't only be spent on the fun stuff, or the kinds of things she hopes enriches a visitor's experience. You can't put icing on a cake that's crumbling, right? That doesn't make
2: sense anymore.
0: How do you convince people to give up their either personal or corporate hard-earned dollars towards something that they might have no connection with? It's
2: not just a recreation experience, it's an economic engine. And so if you appreciate having good schools and fire departments and access to good uh, drinking water, Blue Ridge Parkway generates $1.2 billion of revenue that comes into these little towns. You cannot replace that. If you don't appreciate the economic impact, the Blue Ridge Parkway is one of the most biodiverse places in the temperate world. It's a warehouse for our clean water, for our clean air. If you don't care about the biodiversity or the economic impact, maybe you care about the cultural stories. It is a place that holds our history. Holds the memories of generations past and the promises for generations to come.
0: Nationwide, the National Park Service is backlogged by nearly 12 billion dollars. That's for the Park Service's 418 park units, 23 scenic and historic trails, and 60 rivers. A billion dollars of the backlog can be attributed to Virginia alone. And that bothered some of the people who used them. Can you hear me just fine?
1: I can hear you fine. Mark Warner, 54321.
0: That includes Virginia Senator Mark Warner.
1: And as somebody who's, you know, camped in the Shenandoah and taken my family to some of the battlefields, who's ridden my bike on on a number of our parkways, I was noticing as far back as when I was governor that a lot of the facilities were getting a little bit shabby.
0: Warner says he and Ohio Republican Senator Rob Portman tried to introduce the National Park Legacy Act in 2017. It would have eliminated the Park Service backlog by creating a 30-year designated fund, and they found the money to make it happen.
1: This is, in a sense, a lease payment that the oil and gas companies pay to the, pay to America for using these offshore resources We thought, what better way to use these lease payments than to preserve part of our history and heritage and great outdoors.
0: Their Legacy Act came at the same time as a proposal from the Department of the Interior, one that didn't include a dedicated funding stream for parks maintenance. Fast forward to 2018. Warner says a bipartisan group tried again, calling it the Restore Our Parks Act. This one established a restoration fund and then some. It was designed to handle the backlog by directing half of all of the unallocated revenues from onshore and offshore energy development that would otherwise just go to the Treasury. And it had the Trump administration thumbs up.
1: And while there were lots of twists and turns, and just like in any kind of legislating has been compared to making sausage, parts of the making sausage were pretty, uh, pretty bizarre and twists and turns, and we weren't sure we were going to get it together. Um, But over the last three and a half years, we kept building out this coalition. We ended up with over 800 environmental groups, outdoor recreation groups, who all came together and said, boy, oh boy, this is the most important piece of legislation
0: in 30 years. So long story short, this act Warner proposed on the Senate floor in February 2019 eventually became the Great American Outdoors Act. This one also promised permanent funding for the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which Warner said never got what it was due.
1: Congress has a tendency to overpromise and under-deliver. And when we're thinking about acquiring additional public lands, when we're thinking about maintaining things like the Bureau of Land Management, and we've got some of those lands here, our national forests, like the George Washington National Forest, you know, this was a chance to actually find this source of revenue that would honor the promise that Congress made. I guess the Land and Water Conservation Fund, I think, was originally funded about 20 years ago. This is a promise
3: made, and now a promise that's going to be kept. I introduced this legislation with Senator Manchin of West Virginia, along with so many other bipartisan champions for the outdoors in our public lands. Senator Daines, Senator Portman, Senator Warner.
0: That is Senator Cory Gardner, a Republican from Colorado, talking about the bill after the House approval on July 22nd.
3: this historic legislation... The Senate came together in an overwhelmingly bipartisan fashion and passed the Great American Outdoors Act 73 to 25.
0: After lauding the bipartisan work, a woman to his right begins revealing giant poster board pictures of various parks he then turns and references.
3: Go a little bit further to the right, uh, you'd actually be in the canyon. We went through this bench. If you actually sat on one of those benches, you probably wouldn't be able to sit anywhere else for quite a long time because of the splinters and the gouges that you would receive from the shards of wood that are on those benches.
0: And Garner wraps by applauding his peers in the House and the Senate for supporting the bill.
3: This nation does not have Republican or Democrat public lands. This is not a partisan issue.
0: The Great American Outdoors Act passed the Senate in June by a 73 to 25 bipartisan vote and July 22nd the House passed it 310 to 107.
1: There are very few bills in Washington these days that get that kind of overwhelming support unless they're pretty good ideas.
0: And that support went all the way up the chain. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States President Trump signed the bill Tuesday, August 4th.
4: We're here today to celebrate the passage of truly landmark legislation that will preserve America's majestic, natural wonders priceless historic treasures, and that's exactly what they are.
0: At the signing ceremony, he makes a point a few times of referencing one of his predecessors.
4: There hasn't been anything like this since Teddy Roosevelt, I suspect.
0: His remarks also feature a moment that went semi-viral, in which President Trump apparently stumbles on the word Yosemite.
4: When young Americans experience the breathtaking beauty of the Grand Canyon, when their eyes widen in amazement as old faithful bursts into the sky, when they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemite's towering sequoias.
0: We hear from Vice President Pence and a few other lawmakers and stakeholders, and then the bill becomes law. The Great American Outdoors Act promises about $6.65 billion in funding to the National Park Service over five years and about $900 million a year permanently to the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It also supports the Forest Service, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Bureau of Land Management, and the Bureau of Indian Education. Ultimately, what do you think it was about this bill that made it work this time?
1: We found a way to combine the interests of the park advocates and the land and water conservation advocates. And I also, you know, I have a lot of areas that I disagree with the president on, but I want to give the I want to give President Trump credit as well. The fact that his administration um, became supportive uh, helped push a lot of my Republican colleagues over the line, and um, I'm not sure we I'm, I, I know we wouldn't have had this kind of overwhelming majority without the president's support.
0: I wanted to know how exactly this bill might affect Virginia. I reached out to the National Park Service. Someone from their Office of Public Affairs sent me an email saying that specific projects to be funded will be announced sometime in the future. This act has Republicans, Democrats, and the president on board, the signature of support from hundreds of environmental and recreational groups nationwide, and Carolyn is pretty thrilled. And I
2: think that right now, because of lots of pushes and pulls, the importance of our public lands... The idea that everybody wants and needs a win more than anything, right? We all want something we could stand behind and stand together and say, yes, we all agree on
0: this. Except not everyone is saying yes, at least not entirely. Really,
2: it's not a responsible
5: way to leverage those assets.
0: Even though the support for this bill is significant, not everyone was ready to see President Trump put pen to paper. We want these
5: lands and these waters and these habitats um, to be healthy long into the future for, for all uses, right? Because these are, these are for the, the benefit and enjoyment um, of the wildlife and the American people and um, our
0: communities. And we really just don't think that the Great American Outdoors Act got us there. That's Caitlin Glover. She's the executive director of the Public Lands Council and heads up the Natural Resources Division of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association.
5: You know, I have the best job
0: in the world. (laughs) The PLC lobbies for these cattle and sheep producers, mostly based out West. A Wyoming native herself, Glover says she knows what these folks find important. I grew up, and I I often say, uh, between the cows and the mountains. I got in touch with her after reaching out to the head of the Virginia Cattlemen's Association. They were one of the 48 or so cattle or sheep associations that signed a letter from the Public Lands Council written to leaders in the Senate in early June. That letter called the act an irresponsible way to fix a real problem and said the bill radically increases the burden on the American taxpayer. I asked Tracy Fitzsimmons, head of the Virginia Cattlemen's Association, why they signed the letter. She told me in an email that there are a lot of good attributes to the act and even said that the organization supports the part of the bill that will bring money to national parks, especially the ones in Virginia. But she doesn't like that the bill removes congressional oversight of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. I asked her to elaborate. She got me in touch with Glover. What this bill does for
5: deferred maintenance is set a chunk of money aside, $9.5 billion over, uh, over the next five years, that is outside of congressional authority, is outside of that normal budgeting process, and so Congress doesn't have that oversight.
0: Glover says she doesn't like that the money from these offshore producers is now obligated to go somewhere other than the Treasury for Congress to consider.
5: That is incredible to me that Congress would effectively remove themselves from those discussions um, as, as part
0: of this bill. Is there concern, particularly out west, that with the money, with the increased money that the Land and Water Conservation Fund would be getting that they would buy up land that th- the folks that you work with would see as valuable to themselves. Yes,
5: and I, I think that, that I, I think that that's a, a general synopsis. What I'll say is that without congressional oversight, we we will see federal agencies have a, a massive um, amount of money to make these acquisitions to make these pr-
0: purchases, uh, generally with with very few sideboards. Glover says she also doesn't like the fact that it would take a new bill to make changes to these allocations. And lastly, that the federal agencies would be equipped to buy more land that would then cost more money to maintain.
5: Really, it's it's not a responsible way to leverage those assets.
0: What is your reaction to that? I know you may not have been able to have read this, but um, I don't know if you have heard that argument and if you had any reaction to it. There
1: were were two negative groups. One, particularly out in the West, some concerns about the federal government acquiring additional public lands and how that acquire public lands, that may take it out of grazing possibilities. But I think we see our country continue to grow, continue to get more urbanized. I think it is a good idea to preserve as much of our outdoors as we can, and the marginal additional land that would be acquired, I don't think is going to substantially diminish sheep rights or cattle rights. And then on the Land and Water Conservation Fund, remember, this is not setting up a new program. The fact that it's going to be funded now closer to eight or $900 million a year, you're going to still have the same level of oversight. You're going to have the same level of review of what kind of properties would be acquired. I understand what people might complain, but this idea that this is not going to have oversight, that is just a, a false claim.
0: Warner says the other opposition he heard came from groups who wanted to work in those dollars to help protect ocean waters. But in the sausage-making of legislating, it just didn't make the cut.
5: Rest assured, ranchers, conservationists, um, local communities, I mean, we are all going to be involved um, and and watching very, very closely and working with with folks to make sure that these um, acquisitions are not to the detriment of rural communities, that they're not to the detriment of agriculture or any of these land users, but also to to make sure that we, we continue this
0: conversation. Groups like the PLC will be keeping a close eye on what the federal government does next and how they plan to spend that money, So too will Carolyn, who thinks that what Congress is doing now for our parks is as big as the program that actually established them.
2: Well, you know, I think in my entire lifetime, in a generation, there has not been anything this significant for our parks and public lands. And I think about what it must have felt like in 1916, over a hundred years ago, to be part of that room, to be in that room where they knew they were creating a legacy. I feel like we're in that time now. We we are witnessing a legacy piece of legislation that will ensure that when I have grandchildren, they'll be able to see a Blue Ridge Parkway that is in some sort of decent shape, that is not falling into disrepair and roads have to be closed because they're unsafe. We are in a moment like others have been in history. We're getting to witness it right now.
0: Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. Our editor is Ben Raquelme. I'm Leanna Scacchetti. We'll see you next time.
3: Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive. Because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.